Listen, Dad, are mobile suits more important to you than human beings? <sighs> it almost looks like this mobile suit is shaking in terror. It's a mobile suit! Amaro, is that you inside that mobile suit? Let's just see. Let's test the reaction time of your brand new mobile suit. You alone are responsible for the mobile suit now. Is that understood? These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Wish it was Sunday. That's Matt. Tomorrow Ray. I don't have to run It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Amaro Ray Mobile suit In war, to keep the upper hand, you have to think two or three moves ahead of the enemy Hey guys, welcome back to another mobile-rific episode of Fanhole's Mobile Suit Mondays Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And joining me tonight are three, count them, three of my fellow mobile suit enthusiasts. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike, the gun cannon. I must flee. Hey, this is Justin. Hey guys, this is Tony. It's a time of crisis. There are heroes on both sides of the war. So, we are talking about our ongoing index coverage of the original Mobile Suit Gundam tonight, and we are now up to Episode 8, which is titled Winds of War. And the original Japanese air date was May 26th, 1979, and of course for you guys keeping score when we were watching it over here in the States on Toonami, with the Ocean Group's English dub, it aired on August 1st, 2001. And of course, we again open up on the same intro that sets up the show and the One Year War, and then we get the title card with Winds of War. And there's an overhead shot, and we see the white base, and it's about to hit the rocky terrain below of what Bright eventually calls the Great Canyon. And then, of course, the Gundam wiki page kind of refers to it as the Grand Canyon, which for a while I was kind of like speculating based on like towns and names in the story and, you know, just trying to figure out. And, and there's some there's some evidence that may support this being the Grand Canyon, but when both the, the Japanese subtitles and the dub say or you know, verbalize Great Canyon, I'm, I'm sort of not convinced. But anyway, I guess the, the other thing that's, you know, worth mentioning is while there's not a whole hell of a lot of crossover with the movie version of Mobile Suit Gundam, there is the bit where they have the impact on some of the, the you know, the white base does make an impact with the Great Canyon in this sequence. And that impact bit is in the movie version, but as opposed to this version where they continue to tough it out on the TV series, in, in the movie version, Lieutenant Reed basically makes them elevate the white base, you know, into enemy range. And, and it sort of speeds along, I guess, the plot or whatever, you know, jumping past some of these episodes. And anyway, as, as the ship briefly collides with pretty much negligible impact, 
you know, nobody's really hurt or anything, but there are some supplies that fall over, along with Amaro and Frau Bo. And then the two can hear the cries of a child on the subbridge, and they find this child who's named Coley, and he's being comforted by his mother, which they never seem to say her name in this episode, but according to the Gundam Wikia, the mother's name is Persia. And Persia, the mother, tells young Coley how they finally made it to the Earth, and that this is where his fallen father lived. I'm just kind of making that assumption, since of course she's alone, and kind of speaks of him in the past tense, but they don't come right out and say it, but pretty much you get the idea that, you know, their father is toast! You know. <laughs> this is where your father went to get a pack of cigarettes one day, and he never came back. <laughs> Until you wrote it out, I thought the kid's name was Kobe, but like now that I, and then I thought like the mother was like saying it wrong like sometimes or something, <laughs> but I, I guess it, I guess it really is like Coley. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, I've never, I, I didn't look up the name or anything. I didn't go to my name your baby book and see what Coley means and and what what country of origin the name is derived from or anything. But it it, it is kind of a to, to me, it's not it's not a you know a familiar name like i don't think i've come across that other than this show as far as i know so i wouldn't know where to point or you know what what kind of background it might hail from or anything i was thinking that like maybe like with how uh the japanese translates to america like when they said you know over everything for the translation and stuff the like you know his name might have been Corey, and how l's and r's kind of get switched sometimes Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, like when, when they, they do, like, Sparkle and Spiku and all that kind of stuff, yeah, 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 that makes yeah. sense, maybe, yeah, maybe it was, it was, so you think it was, like, Corey or something, or? Maybe, I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's totally just a, a random idea, I, yeah, I have yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 I, 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 your I long, here's where your long dead father who gave you a stupid ass name lived. <laughs> It's it's funny, too, because they keep busting out with, like, more and more of these evacuees. I mean, I, I think that's why a lot of this stuff is probably, you know, condensed and streamlined in the movie version. Because you're like, Jesus, how many of these refugee evacuee people from Side 7 keep coming out of the goddamn woodwork on this ship? It's like every time they go to the, the you know, it's like, whoop, we're in the sub-basement. Oh, damn it, more evacuees. We found some more of them. <laughs> And now they're gonna have stupid fucking demands and put us all in danger. You're like, you're like, uh, Amaro's like, God damn it! I thought we sprayed for these. Like, <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah. So, so Amaro basically wonders if all the mothers out there are as caring as Coley's, and you know, Frau's kind of, you know commenting that, you know, Amaro probably hasn't been with a mother for a very long time, and Haro then advises Amaro that Bright is calling for him on the bridge, and then another impact occurs, and Lieutenant Reed, of course, is still giving Bright a load of shit about being reckless for having the white base fly so low, but Bright retorts that with the Xeon Dop fighters trying to find them, they'll need to nearly touch the ground to avoid them. And when Reed questions Mirai's skills to carry out Bright's plan as the pilot, she, of course, kind of has an attitude and confidently states that she's going to be able to do so. I did think, like, at first, when I when this episode first started, until they explained their tactic, 
I was like, what the fuck is wrong with her? She keeps running into shit. Well, it's, it's weird. It's, it's like, I mean, I guess we'll get to that. Like, cause you know, like Garma is the one who basically kind of makes the error. Like you, I guess you're, you're supposed to think the obvious reason is they're flying below radar. And that's, that's kind of what Garma is speculating that it's to, you know, fly below the radar. But then this is when we come into the, the whole Gundam science and mythology and everything behind this series the the sort of scientific acumen that is Gundam because Char basically points out that the canyon's going to actually act as this buffer so yeah it's visualized very well i mean you you see the white base in between the two sides of the canyon so one it's being covered up and apparently the idea is their Manofsky particles this field is going to be generated like an eye field and it's going to create a significant amount of interference so i think the idea is like you know basically at that point karma's like oh we won't be able to use our radio controlled weapons you know and, and you know i mean essentially all that means is if they had a missile that was going to home in on the white base it's going to miss the target i mean that's that's supposed to be the entire explanation for why these guys have wars with mobile suits in the first place because as opposed to you know like i guess you know some equivalent of modern warfare today where people are using satellites and and you know x-rays and drones visions and drones and 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 all this kind of stuff where it's it's like radio operated and targeted and all that kind of stuff it it essentially makes all that kind of warfare moot you know like you you so but you know what else are we going to do we're going to build giant robots and beat the shit out of each other in them you know i don't know how you come to that conclusion but that's that's the you know that that's how it works in this universe basically yeah i support it anything to get big robots i'm down for yeah i guess i i did i did put in some stuff about the manofsky particle as far as like the official guide and everything uh, according to the official guide of mobile suit gundam gundam century and the gundam officials the manofsky physics society while working on the reactor encountered a strange electromagnetic wave effect in universal century 0065 within the manofsky ionosco reactor that could not be explained by conventional physics within the next few years they identified the cause a new elementary particle generated by the helium-3 reaction on the inner wall of the reactor which was named the manofsky particle or m particle the manofsky particle has near zero rest mass though like any particle its mass increases to reflect its potential or kinetic energy and can either carry a positive or negative electrical charge when scattered in open space or in the air like they're doing in this case around the walls of the canyon the repulsive forces between charged Minovsky particles cause them to spontaneously align into a regular cubic lattice structure called an eye field an eye field lattice will slowly expand and scatter into space. However, after dense interference, it will take approximately 29 days before the region can support normal electromagnetic communication again. So, you know, that that's just trying to illustrate, you know, in in, you know, scientific English, you know, what what the Minofsky particle does that it basically wipes out all kinds of, you know, radio communications and and why that makes that 
kind of warfare, you know, outdated and irrelevant in this universe. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like a low level EMP burst. Like it won't disrupt all electronics, but like yeah, like communication and stuff just won't work. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because I always used to wonder, like, well, how can they still talk to each other in mobile suits? But usually they talk about how they have like you know laser communication or like you know sometimes you'll see in the the different series how they'll like you know launch like a cable line almost like they're you know playing telephone or something and that that cable will attach to the other suit and then it's almost like they have a direct line of communication rather than a radio signal or something like that but let's get this land party started <laughs> so Shar and garma have a plan and they want to ambush the white base on their own terms basically in a place where they're going to have the advantage and they can attack without mercy and the Dop Fighter Squadron decides to break off their pursuit, and this, of course, surprises Sela. Bright then states that since they're located in the quote-unquote Great Canyon, note, he, he never says Grand Canyon, and he, he even in the Japanese subtitles, it's, it's spelled Great Canyon, the Xeon are going to strike at this point called Midlake, which he points out is the least advantageous point for them to be in. Lieutenant Reed actually, you know, even though he's been argumentative this whole time about, you know, their their plan so far, he actually concurs with Bright's assessment, and the team is going to be depending on Amuro and the Gundam for support. Although Kai teases that the rest of them don't matter then, Frau Bo escorts some new evacuees onto the bridge. Hey, look at you guys, you got all new character designs, and we found you more of you again so this is what this is like am i exaggerating this is like the third episode with like refugees with like demands and stuff on this ship yeah right? yeah it, it seems like they use some of the old designs from the last episode i was gonna say i thought i saw space wilford Brim, brimley in the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't we didn't we kick you off the ship already are you back again <laughs> Yeah. Right. I thought we sprayed for those. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So, so I'm sorry, Lieutenant Reed. Some of them must have escaped. So the the mother from earlier, Persia, serves as their spokesperson, and she is requesting that they be dropped off in the nearby town of Saint Angus. Now that was something else. I was like, well, if this if this is in like if this is actually the Great Canyon. Uh, you know, which I don't know where that is, you know, then it doesn't really matter, right? But if it's the Grand Canyon, then obviously they're somewhere in Arizona, right? And they're in North America. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, like, is there a St. Angus that, like, really exists in Arizona? And all I could find when I Googled stuff were, like, churches and stuff like that. But there's no, there was no town, you know, named St. Angus or anything like that. So... I, you know, that's that that's basically me just kind of like wondering if th this had any tie to any real location or place. And and I guess the the reason why I bring it up is cuz you know th there's a number of sort of official and unofficial sources that you know help people visually with a map. So I did I did do a screenshot for you know the folks that are on the show tonight basically and it's from Mobile Suit Gundam Igloo. And it basically shows, like, there, there's a map of the world, basically. And you can see, like, most of the areas in red are 
conceivably Xeon occupied forces. So you've got like, you know, a big chunk of Eastern Europe, a big chunk of, of North Africa, you know, uh, basically all of like China and some of Russia and Australia and, you know, all these places that, that Xeon occupied territory is it, you know, during the war, but also like, you know, a large chunk of it is North America. So, I mean, it's, it's Mexico, you know, the United States, Canada, like all kinds of, you know, you know, spots in North America. So conceivably, like, you know, if Shar routed them into Xeon territory, as has been stated in these episodes, it's entirely conceivable they're in North America and this is the Grand Canyon. But I guess, you know, because they don't want the Grand Canyon to sue them, maybe they called it the Great Canyon. I, I don't know. Yeah. And of course, you could say like, you know. Since they've been flying over what looks to be like desert environments for for a while, yeah, yeah, that makes, that, would, that would make sense too, yeah. yeah, yeah, it would. I mean, you know, it's funny. Like, I I guess I think of Arizona as a bit more red. I guess you know because I've been there, but like, <laughs> but like I, you know, the, the the way it's displayed here, like it makes sense. You know, the the kind of connection that you're making as well. I mean, it is it is kind of barren, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Jabro in in South America? Yeah, I think it is. So that would, yeah, that would so kind I, I guess of, that kind that, of that makes would kind sense. of make yeah. sense with their trajectory, right? Because they were yeah. they were they were herded to North America, and and as we continue this podcast, they will be headed towards South America. So yeah, that 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 does make sense. Geography, kids, it's fun. <laughs> I I think they should have just stopped at Gilligan's Island instead of the Great Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Because it seems to be about as real as the Great Canyon at this point. Gilligan's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Island. <laughs> and, and then, like, Amaro can meet Gilligan, and, like, you know, the, you know, Gilligan can, like, almost get off the island, but then it's like, whoops, like, he screwed up, and, like, they, they don't get on the white base or something. It's like, they we're going to leave Kai behind and take Gilligan, but then it just didn't work out. <laughs> Noah keeps like slapping him over the head with his hat, going, "Little buddy, come on!" <laughs> no, he he'd be like, "Little, oh, uh, uh, buddy, because uh, he gets like a bunch of shrapnel in him and stuff." Yeah. <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> yeah. So basically, at this point, Bright is suggesting that they could ask the Zeon for a temporary ceasefire so they can drop off these civilians, much to the delight of all the evacuees. Of course, when it's brought up to the Zeon, Char doesn't like it. He, he thinks something smells bad about the, the request, but he also kind of knows that they can use it as an opportunity to get better prepared and mobilize their slower ground forces because they've got all these like tanks in place and everything like that. And as Garma rushes off to give the order to accept the ceasefire, Char smiles, thinking to himself about how Garma is still the same spoiled, soft, rich kid he knew back in the day. And that's that's kind of a paraphrase of the, the English dub's dialogue, that he's, he's spoiled and soft and he's a rich kid and everything. And I, I thought it was interesting that looking at the, the Japanese language, you know, the the strict translation on the subtitle was that he says it seems his privileged boyhood has spoiled him 
you know. So yeah, he's spoiled, he's soft, you know, in both translations. But I thought that was that was an interesting turn of phrase, you know, his privileged boyhood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, if anybody's keeping count at home, by this point of the episode, I think we're on Garma hair flip number three. Yeah, we're already we're already shit faced by this point <laughs> in the Garma hair flip <laughs> drinking game, right? We've we've taken a couple shots <laughs> yeah. by this point. Exactly. <laughs> It is interesting, though, that, like, Char is obviously loyal to Zeon. He doesn't dislike Garma, but he just is, I guess the the best way to put it is unimpressed by Garma, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, it, it's it's sort of, again, kind of like the civilian evacuee plot. Like, it's it's basically kind of repetitively hitting points that we've already been introduced to. Like, like we know that Char's kind of got alternative plans for Garma, even though they're on the same fighting force, they're part of the same military, but, you know, he's he's always has these thoughts to himself about, well, if he screws up, it makes me look good, basically, and, and that sort of continues in this episode as well. And of course, Garma is also over-eager and kind of impulsive. He wants to, like, you know, he, he wants to show off. He wants to be the cool guy. I mean, he wants yeah. to be the... Yeah. I mean, he's got he's got all that that sort of pressure being in in a, a royal family, in a highly visible family, a family that's spearheading this war effort. So you know, he he basically is you know a, any chance he gets to do something that he thinks is going to you know be the pinnacle of of the war effort he he basically jumps all over it and he's he's definitely eager to capture white base but he doesn't seem to acknowledge the the difficulty he's going to have he he seems to think it's going to be kind of a, a shoe win he's he's definitely overconfident in in his abilities even though you know secretly Char is kind of you know thinking of him as as a soft spoiled kind of kid yeah, for Dharma, his his whole mindset is it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. He he will do this. He's amazing. I, I got this. Meanwhile, we were back on White Base, and Kai Shiden is setting up explosive charges on the White Base's gun parry carrier so it can look battle damaged. Of course, Kika, Let's, and Cats are there wondering why he's actually trying to damage a working carrier. And then, of course, he gets indignant and yells at them. He's like, this is the fool, the anime! You know, he's, he's all upset. <laughs> if, I, if, I was, if I was Kai, I'd be like, hey, uh, why don't you guys go check those explosives out? Like, I'll just wave back here. <laughs> Kai was actually, he was like, this is the fool, Kagome! <laughs> <laughs> I will say the little girl was kind of annoying because, like, the two boys were, they actually had dialogue, but the girl was just like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I was like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, he should have taken the opportunity to kill, like, four birds with one stone there. <laughs> this will make everybody's life easier. <laughs> it's like, oh, we thought we thought we were going to stick those kids on this gun parry carrier and and they'd actually go to the lake with all the other evacuees but no well remember in previous reviews like i was saying that kai kind of reminded me of rat trap well like this does too because he's like doing like demolitions and stuff yeah so. yeah that's true and, and and he is kind of he he's he basically is the impetus for this sort of double cross like sneak attack like 
scenario. I mean, you know, Bright later says, all right, you know, this was like your game plan. Like, it was kind of his his scheme, you know, to, to put the pieces of, of this whole operation together. So there's there's that aspect to it, too, even beyond the, the demolition acts aspect that he's he's kind of, uh, you know, he, he's a bit of a schemer. He's got he's got a, a play going on, you know, that, you know, is is a long game rather than just a, you know, a quick kind of fix, I guess. I did like the fact that there was like a nice little bit of comedy here too, because he's working on like the devices and stuff. He's like, huh, 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 and the kids are like bugging him. He's like, you know, like, I know what I'm doing. This play is going to work, you know, just like shut up and let me do my thing. And he's like, huh, 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 after he yells at him, <laughs> like he snaps and he just like goes right back to what he was doing. Like, you know, without missing a beat. So it's like, that's, that's that to me, that's good voice acting. He, he may be a dick, but like, yeah, the voice acting is great on that. Yeah. He does a good job. But why are you breaking it, mister? It's a waste, isn't it? Leave me alone! We're blowing a hole on purpose! We're doing it to fool the enemy! <laughs> so as the tanks and dob fighters of the Xeon forces begin to close in, Garma believes that their victory is assured. Char thinks to himself, even if they aren't victorious, it's just going to make Garma look the incompetent fool. Ryu and Job John, of course, it took me a minute because I was trying to figure out who that was because I'm like, who the fuck is Ryu's co-pilot, you know? And, and, and it's like, it's one of those, you know, I knew it was, I was like, is it Oscar? Is it Maker? And I'm like, no, it's not that guy. It's not that guy. And I go, I know there's I know there's somebody else here because the, the, the wiki entry for the episode kept saying Hayato was his co-pilot. And I'm like, that's not Hayato. And then, <laughs> and then you know, it, it, I kept looking. And eventually when you read like, like job john's entry on the wiki it even says he was reused co-pilot in this episode and i'm like you know i guess they don't cross pollinate or whatever but but basically ryu and and job john are the the pilots of the gun parry carrier and then kai amaro and frau Bo are sitting in the rear with the evacuees and a Xeon Luggin recon plane piloted by a Xeon pilot named Big John, not Job John, Big John, but Big John <laughs> comes alongside the gun parry carrier. And Big John is reporting back to Char and Garma of the craft's battle damage. Frau Bo waves to the Xeon pilots and then accuses Amuro of being jealous. The Xeon pilot's guards seem to drop, however, when the child, Coley, also waves at them. All are surprised to find a large lake in the middle of the Grand Canyon, or wherever the fuck they are, in Arizona, which they chalk up to being a bomb crater filled with water. I don't know how that works either, but I guess that kind of works. I guess it turns into a rain basin whenever it does rain, I guess. I yeah, yeah, show. yeah, maybe. Ryu decides to land near some houses and tells the crew to initiate the plan. This is Kai's sneaky plan and everything. And they set off some gas to make it look like the ship is more damaged. And they tell the Xeon recon plane they're going to make an emergency landing, which actually is, is fairly realistic. I mean, they, they're actually in, in some peril, even though it's part of the plan. You know, it's kind of like wrestling, you know, it's like, it's not, you know, you know, getting slammed on the head there, you know, it, it may be part of the script, but it's, it still hurts getting slammed on the head, right? Yeah, they're throwing around the, the, the cabinet stuff, but like, it was a planned crash, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. 
And and so they make this emergency landing, and Char, of course, is suspicious. He suspects foul play, but him and Garma only see the civilian evacuees exiting the gun carrier. Char's thoughts, this is kind of like interesting because it, it's the briefest of blips, but you know, at this point, Char's thoughts drift back to his encounter with Sela from way back in episode two. That was titled, that got yeah. Yeah, that was titled Destroy Gundam. But that was, you know, that was like the first time they they meet in the series, you know, and, and you know, he kicks the pistol out of her hand and everything. But he, he has that brief thought of, you know, being held at gunpoint by, you know, so I guess he's got that, you know, that kind of strong-willed kind of defiance on his mind, you know, maybe, and he's equating that, you know, the way Sela kind of stood up to him and, and wondering if, you know, the white, the, you know, he's assuming other people in the white base are yes. like, are like Sela, you know. So. Yeah, they look, they look like civilians, but they might be stronger than he knows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I kind of thought maybe, like, he thought maybe Sela was, like, aboard the gun parry and, like, maybe was trying to get off or something. Like, I, I did kind of have that thought, too, that he was, like, kind of, like, looking for her to be among the refugees, like, since she is technically a civilian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So then the uh, evacuees basically decide to go to the houses that they saw earlier next to the lake. However, the mother and child split off from those evacuees so that they can go to this town, St. Angus. And as the Xeon pilots from the... Just the desert! <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Yeah, no, no, yeah. So, so basically, they're 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 off wandering, you know, in in a general direction away from water and shelter, as the Xeon pilots from the recon plane wonder where the hell the mother and child are going off to. Braubo, Kai, and Job John make their way back to the Trojan horse. They they all come out of the carrier and they they've all got their jetpacks and everything. So like now basically everybody's like, "Aha, there were, you know, there were Federation, you know, troops in there, but now they're heading back to the white base." So the recon plane decides to go after the three of them in hot pursuit, and basically that was the plan all along because Ryu and Amuro, still in their flight suits, are left behind in the carrier, and it's like, ha-ha, the plan has worked, Amuro. Like, come on out, and everything. And then, of course, we cut to show the commercial break. Hi, this is TJ Damon with Quad M Productions and co-host of the Quad M Show. The Quad M Show is a somewhat live and semi-weekly comedic podcast where your host TJ Damon. I'm not very, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Jason Vickers. I let all the air out of my tires so they don't go flat. And Jesse Barnett. I think I even accidentally listened to the show this last week. Bring you their takes on current pop culture and geek world news. Show features include the FGS Award, highlighting the pinnacle of human stupidity for this week. And Reddit Fun with Jason, where your hosts compare their opinions with the hive mind known as Reddit. Here, take a listen. My biggest problem with the movie industry as it sits now is that the trailers that they are putting out give everything away. Batman and Superman are going to duke it out. Then along comes a stronger foe. They're going to have to team up. Along comes Wonder Woman. So you've already ruined that surprise for everybody. <laughs> now we're going to have Gail Godot's Wonder Woman coming in to save the day. And when Wonder Woman and Superman are there, what's Batman got to do? <laughs> 
<laughs> you got this handled. I'm going to go work on my marriage with Jennifer Carter. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> New episodes drop Mondays at 12 noon Eastern. Check us out at www.quadmproductions.com. And then when we come back from the commercial break, show the mother and child, as Tony was saying, are, are running through the desert. Basically, they're traversing this, this rocky cliffside. And the path ends up giving way, and they're sliding further into the canyon. Luckily, they don't lose their lives, but they do lose much of their belongings. It's like the suitcase and clothes. She loses all her handkerchiefs, Derek. <laughs> like, go flying all over the place and everything. So, yeah, yeah, they're they're kind of out of whatever. Uh, I guess there's, maybe like Oolong was down there wishing to the Shenron or whatever, you know, for some panties. And, like, you know, that was part of the dragon seal. <laughs> you know, the, the, the mom's panties came out of the, the suitcase and, and, and were headed down to the bottom of the canyon or something. Today's my day! <laughs> uh, I, I will say that, like, the mother, like, like again, I think this is the, the problem with the refugees. They're so hard-headed, but I understand that, like, it comes from a place of, like, you know, wanting to be back home and stuff. But it's just, like... Seriously, you're taking like a, a two, three year old boy through the desert and you're just like, everything's fine. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's stubborn, very stubborn woman. <laughs> Can I talk about a little moment that I like? I I like the little moment where like Frelbo is winking at the, you know, the Xeon pilots and Big John's co pilot totally like flips his lid over her, which. You know, she's, like, in a jetpack, and she has, like, a very short skirt on, so, like, I would probably flip out, too, if I was him, but I, I just thought that was a really kind of a funny moment there. <laughs> I, I I had, like, a, a moment of, like, like sick humor there, where I thought of, like, the Simpsons episode with Cherry Bobbins, like, at the end when she floats away, and I was like, what if Bravo got, like, sucked up into one of the <laughs> engines of that plane? <laughs> like, whoops! <laughs> whoops! just pieces <laughs> oh yeah yeah so that that the the, the other's co-pilot like he never gets a name throughout the whole episode and i didn't i didn't see anywhere where that, that... I, I just i just assumed his name was small john small john is <laughs> <laughs> big john and little john right like that's little john, little john was blushing like a, a big goofball or whatever huge because Fraubo like <laughs> slutted it up and and gave him all kinds of winks and everything, but yeah, yeah, Big, big John. <laughs> the CS big on irony. They're like, I am big, so I am Big John. He is small. He is Little John. <laughs> He's like, where's our other partner, medium sized John? <laughs> <laughs> medium John's dead, Mike. Dead. Why'd you bring it up? Now we're all sad. Oh. <laughs> Of course, Big John, like Char, is kind of getting suspicious because for a brief moment after after Frau Bo winks at Little John, you know, the, he's getting like the, the squinty eyes of suspicion, like something something is is amiss, something is rotten in Denmark and everything. But since Big John is portrayed in this episode as being a family man, he's he's got like concern for that mother and child just like you know i i know tony's saying that they're being stubborn and everything but i think i think that's you know y you probably as a viewer 
in some cases, depending on, you know, your age and your background and, and that kind of thing, you know, you probably could personify with with that characteristic of Big John, like, kind of having that sense of concern where you, you understand that the mother's just trying to get somewhere, but you don't quite know where, and, and you have that sense of concern, and so they, they portray him as a, a fairly sympathetic character. I mean, this is probably something that might be worth talking about, but I, I think this is the one of the, not first, but I mean, it's one of the many instances where this show is not, you know, again, it goes back to the whole real robot genre attempt, you know, if this was just a super robot show, anybody on the other side, whether it's an alien or a pilot or whatever, <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah, they'd, they'd be evil, and, and if it was a you know, helpless mother and child, they'd want to eat their brains or, you know, whatever, whatever kind of nefarious stuff would be going on in a super robot anime. But in this case, you know, it's very all quiet on the Western Front. You get to see things from, you know, both, both camps, you know, in, in these military engagements. And, and you can see that they're, you know, obviously they, they have, you know, they're, they're, you know, everybody's a human being, even if they're on opposite sides of the war. And, and you, you know, you can share kind of concerns and, and similar, you know, kind of foibles with with either side well yeah i mean like, they, both the pilots have that though like big john and i we're, we're just gonna call him little john i guess you know big john is concerned about the mother stuff and like you said like you know little john is like kind of jealous because like the cute chick like you know gave a wink and stuff and that that is a human response you know he, he you know they weren't like you know like that enemy of us and like she's a harlot you know a tramp she's just trying to like you know, seduce us with her feminine and I was like, no, she's cute, you know, and with the mother, you know, like, like you said, you know, when the little kid waves, I don't care who you are. And like, I don't care if like you're, you're a mean spirited person. Like it takes a really cold individual not to wave at a little kid when they wave at you, you know, and that is a, again, a human response. And I, I like that, you know, I like the fact that like the Xeon troopers and this, like, I mean, yeah, sure. Some of them are like, you know, hardcore and they, they, they're all about the war and they're loyalists to the nth degree. And the, the, the way that they portrayed these two guys is they're loyal. They're not traitors, but they're also human. You know, the, the, these are civilians. They're not going to treat them as a enemy combatants. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they're not going to treat them as casualties. It's like they're just going to die anyway. Who cares? It's like no, they're they're people, and they care about people like anybody who is a a person would. You know. Yeah. So since since Big John and Little John are, are headed back to check on the mother and child, they, he's actually headed back towards. Ryu and Amuro and the gun parry carrier, and so Ryu kind of quickly closes the ramp because he was about to, you know, have the Gundam come out of the ramp and everything, but since the Xeon recon plane's headed back, he starts to close the ramp back up, but, you know, they're, they're not there, really, to check on the gun parry carrier, and they, they quickly, like, zoom right overhead, and Amuro basically then 
figures this is his chance to get Gundam out into the field. They, you know, lower the ramp, and there's a, a similar kind of animated sequence to when the Gundam first, you know, because the Gundam is is laying down in the gun carry carrier. So again, you know, you, you know, it's similar to the sequence in the first episode where the, you know, the foot slams on the ground and the Gundam slowly gets to its feet and everything like that. It's Gundam, yeah, 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 and you know. Amuro is, you know, similarly sort of shares Big John's concern because he, he kind of dawns on him like, wait, they weren't here for us. They're going to they're going to head after that mother and child. So he's kind of worried about them, too. He does kind of take like the idea that they're going after her. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is. Yeah. You know, it's like that they're going to like go try to like, you know, either capture her or possibly, you know, as you said, be evil bad guys and try to kill her. And it's like it's funny. They're both working for the same goal. But on opposing, you know, aside, you know, it's like the the Zeon guys are just want to check on her. Armors want to check on her, but he thinks that the Zeon guys want to attack her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not they're not privy to each other's motivations or anything like that. And you know, of course, you know, now that all the 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 folks with the jetpacks have gotten back to White Base and everything, Bright basically is sending out Hayato in the gun tank and Kai in the gun cannon. So this is basically like the first time on the show that we see the RX-77-2 gun cannon in battle. So that's, I mean, that's that's kind of a, uh, you know, it, it's a it's an important moment. That's not just getting wrecked, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, there's the mother and child, and of course they, too, are not privy to the Xeon pilot's motivations either, so when they see the recon plane overhead, it's almost like, you know, they're, they're you know, kind of doing a scene from North by Northwest, you know, where... Yeah, running that's, that's what I thought, yeah. You know, they're, they're, I, I was like, I wonder if that was intentional, like... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of they're kind of running away and diving to the ground and everything, and, and you know, they're not sure what's going to happen and everything. And, and Amuro, of course, is, you know, from a distance, of course, he's hidden by you know, uh, a mountain cover and everything, but he's he's all set to open fire with his beam cannon, you know, just in case. But Big John actually is just dropping off provisions and supplies. It's like this, you know, crate. Looks like a bomb. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, it kind of looks like a giant grenade or something, but, you know, it's actually got, like, provisions and, and shelter and, and that kind of thing for the, the mother and child's well-being and everything. And again, they wave when they leave, like, you know, like, hey, everything's cool, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, like, he, he kind of salutes her almost, like, he's just, you know, all right, you know, that that's, you know, that's all we came here to do, you know, just just make sure you had some stuff to, to keep you alive and everything out here, because he, he wasn't quite sure where the hell she was going, you know? And, uh, yeah. and, and then, you know, unfortunately, at that point, there's this gleam that reflects, you know, like the sun reflects on the Gundam's eye or the, the you know, the beam cannon, you know, sight or something that, that flashes, you know, and, and of course that gets the attention of Big John and Little John. And so they, they head back and, you know, Big John basically is going to attack the Gundam and Amuro fires and shoots them down. And they basically crash into the nearby lake. I did have one thing I, I, I thought would have been a nice moment for Amaro in this. Obviously, the Zeon are enemies of White Base, and obviously, he does have a job to do. But it would have been kind of nice if he had like 
kind of a moment of like, oh man, these guys are just trying to help somebody out. You know, I don't want to do this, but he, he seems very focused on shooting them down. And I mean, I'm, that's that's fine. It doesn't hurt Armro's character, but it would be kind of nice for a little character build to be like, you know, I have to do this, but I don't really want to. These these seem like noble people, you know, that kind of thing. It seems like one of those things where it's kind of a heat of the moment, split second type thing where you, you yeah. I think if he, if he had hesitated, then you know maybe that that fighter would have crashed into him too. So I don't I don't think he had a choice either way because if he's if he's spotted, those guys are going to report him no matter what they did. Yeah. So he's going to have to shoot them down anyway. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I totally understand because like they, they they are still his enemy. I mean, they still. Like, you know, you would, you know, when they see him, they're like, you know, that's the Gundam, you know, it's like, if we report this, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, as anybody who would be a soldier would be like, you know, hey, this will, this will get us like some favor with the people we work for, you know? So, I mean, they, they are still loyal troopers. I did want to mention though, Eric, when you were talking about Kai and the gun cannon, it is interesting that like his immediate reaction is like, holy shit, they're shooting at me. And he kind of freaks out, but through, you know, like main character status, he is able to fight back and he actually gets, you know, a lot of good hits in and he realizes that he actually isn't like completely useless in like a, a mech. You know, he's like, wait a minute, I, I, I got him? <laughs> it's like, it's... No, I, I thought that was cool because, I mean, obviously he's in a, in a mode of panic, but that doesn't really change. I mean, the, the worst thing he does is he, he basically fires so much that... You know, he, he unloads all of his ammo, but I mean, it, it's not that, I don't think he went into such a panic that he became immobile. You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, 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 you know, he had a, a fight or flight reflex. And so, it, you know, he, he, he basically went into fight mode, but he didn't go into, you know, kind of like, you know, he, he didn't get paralyzed, you know, the, the panic didn't stop him from doing some of the things he needed to do. He, he may have, you know, he, he, he may have performed better had he not lost his cool and maybe, you know, aimed and, and, you know, didn't just kind of fire wildly. But, you know, for his first time out there and him trying to stay alive and everything, you're like, hey, you know, that's, there's worse there's worse shit that could happen, I suppose, you know? I, I was going to ask about this for you guys, just stylistically, because I notice these things, because I don't know, I just do. A lot of the times, the gun cannon, even though the cannons on his shoulders can obviously rotate down over his shoulders, they, they tend to show the, the gun cannon in doggy-style position shooting a lot. <laughs> And I was like, is that like a, like, I mean, and I'm not saying that like in a dirty way. I'm just saying it does like that provide like maybe better aiming or is it like a preferred way? Maybe he's just bracing himself. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like, I imagine if they're, they're supposed to be used in space, right? Like mostly, then you wouldn't have to worry about gravity and all that kind of stuff. But maybe because they're, yeah. they're on Earth. Yeah, there's there's the backblast from the cannons. Like maybe he's just sort of bracing himself. And again, I, I think it also illustrates that Kai has a certain level of inexperience. You know, he's he's crawling before he can walk, right? Like that's I think that, yeah. that's part of probably the, the visual kind of cue they're trying to give you with with his character, like not only, I mean, you know, it's almost like a baby getting kicked out of the cradle or something. You know what I mean? Like the way he gets shoved out of white base, and he's like, "Can you? Can he's like, can you? Can you land a little lower? Can you? Can so you don't get break a little lower? Neck. And it's like, it's like, no, get the fuck out. He's like, ah, you know, and he kind of like just gets shoved into the shit, basically. That 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 kind of to me is is 
something that is in keeping with the whole real robot genre thing, you know, like where, you know, people just get, you know, kicked out into, you know, a battlefield or something like that, you know, because they're, they're, you know, it's like you, you, you basically just do it or don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I actually landed. Huh? Uh, they're firing at me. Because we did see the first episode where they introduced the Gundam. And like you said, like this first time we see gun cannon and gun tank actually do stuff. They actually are, are, are worthwhile support units. Are these different gun tanks and gun cannons? Because the first two got pretty much destroyed right off the bat. And the gun, I don't know about the gun tank, but the gun cannon actually takes a couple of hits and is still going. Yeah, I think this is like the really for reals gun cannon. Oh, okay. So like the other one's kind of like a prototype and yeah, okay, cool. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, I know, I know in the, the, like, in the movie version, like, the gun cannon shows up earlier than this, but the, the, the way the footage is used, like, there, there's similar aspects, like, you know, what we were talking about, where he, he lands and he immediately is getting shot at and everything, like, a lot of those moments are echoed in the film, but then the battle you know, it's like this battle is kind of merged with the battle from next episode and the episode following, you know, because they're they're a bit more streamlined, you know. So it's almost like it's all one battle sequence with Garma rather than, you know, multiple attempts, I think. Yeah, and I guess, like, I mean, to be fair, in the first episode, they are taken out by Zakus, and in this battle, they're taking on Magella tanks and, and Dop fighters, so right, they're... Right. Their weapons might not be as powerful, yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because it's not like it's not like they're. I mean, Amuro mostly fights the Zaku's, you know, and and the, the forces that are attacking, you know, the the gun cannon are just the tanks and the fighters and everything. So yeah, Char at that point is warning Garma that you know his plan of action would have been to hide the mobile suit in that transport and release it behind enemy lines and of course as if on cue the word comes in that Gundam is attacking from behind enemy lines so Amuro basically comes in and starts wrecking shop and he you know saves Kai's ass after he runs out of ammo and everything like that and you know th this I mean you know it's like some some of it was repeated animation and maybe some stock kind of footage and everything, but I, I thought it was a good example of, I think, you know, the white base functioning as a team, you know, it's like, it's not like Amara had to come in and do everything by himself, you know, like, there were moments where Kai helps Amaro out, and, and... I, I did like the, like, like the doop, 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 push you over a cliff! <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or even, yeah. even the white base, you know, you can see Mirai's keeping people safe because she's, you know, she's, she's, you know, turning the steering wheel, and trying to dodge, you know, missile fire and all that kind of stuff, and then that missile fire... back to the tanks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she, she, you know, basically the missiles that, that miss the white base end up hitting their own guys, you know, so, like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that they did and, and that they were functioning well together as a unit. As my avatar might suggest, I like the guy who, like, once he sees he's, like, losing, he's like, oh, I must be... Like, in this turns and, like, beats feet. He was, like, in a battle for, like, two minutes, and he's like, wait a minute, that is the Gundam, holy shit! <laughs> I, I think one of the most visceral moments, again, like, this, this show, despite not having blood, really, 
or like gore or anything like that. It's still really violent. Like one of the moves Amuro does is like fling his shield Captain America style, but instead of like, you know, Kong just knocks the guy out, goes right through the Zaku and like that guy is totally dead. Like yeah, not you see the shield like crush him in the cockpit yeah. pretty much. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I mean I mean Amuro like Kai pushes one of those Zakus over, but Amuro's fighting like the other three and ends up taking them all out. And you know, essentially like most of Garma's attack fleet is, is either wiped out or like, you know, Mike and Tony were saying they, you know, I must flee. You know, they, they kind of retreat and everything. And, you know, in the distance, we can, you know, cut back to, you know, Big John and Little John, and they're watching basically the light, and, and they hear the sounds of the explosions from, from a distance and everything. And, it, it, you know, it's kind of this this kind of karmic scene, I guess, you know, karma, basically, where, you know, the mother who was aided by them earlier is now, you know, dressing their wounds and everything, you know, so it's almost like, you know, the, the you know, they, she's paying it forward with, with these yeah, you, you helped us, I helped you yeah, yeah. yeah, that she received earlier and then, of course yeah, the, there's you know him nice Shalaman twist <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, and I mean, you know, of course Garma is, is totally in utter dismay and shock that you know, his forces have been devastated he's like, how am I going to explain this to Cassilia? You know, he's, he's like, you know, freaking out and everything. And of course, Char's like, don't worry, bro, I got your back. Like, we'll go out and, and wreck shop on the Gundam together, you know. And so that that sort of calms him down, I guess, you know. And that's that's the direction that the series is going in. So John thanks the mother for, for helping them out and everything. And he basically kind of drops the bombshell on her that, you know, she... You know, it's kind of like, uh, our, you know, what's the planet of the apes? You know, you blew it up! You know, like, yeah, yeah. So you it's are like, here. It's where like you want to go. Yeah. It's like you are in St. Angus. Like all this, you know, rubble and, and canyons and, and bullshit that you've been walking around in, that was St. Angus, and it's not St. Angus anymore, you know? So, you know, he kind of tells her she should probably go back to those houses that were by the lake and everything and find shelter. And it's, it's pretty sad. I mean, you know, the, the mother's just left there crying, and of course the kid doesn't really get it. You know, he doesn't know why his mother's finally broken down and everything. And then, you know, and of course Amaro and, yeah. and Fra Fraubo are kind of oblivious. It's like, gee, you think think she ever found St. Angus? Like, gee whiz. You know, it's like, no, fuck no, Amaro. She didn't, she didn't find it. You know, so. Well, she did. Just everybody's dead. Well, yeah, yeah. She found it, but just there's there's no town to, to be left. You know, so yeah. So yeah, it, it it was it was kind of a cruel twist. I, I guess that's why you know in hindsight I said it was a stubborn you know action because she didn't know Saint Ed just even still existed, but she did have hope, and I understand that. And like like I said, you know, I mean my, my my quote about her being stubborn aside, I understand she wanted to take her son back to their hometown, and then you know that is sad. It is really sad. Like you know, I couldn't imagine coming back like one day from work and like my little crappy you know two bedroom apartment you know just not being there. You know, I, I would be like, the fuck just happened? You know, I mean, yeah, it, it, you know, I probably would do the whole. 
going down on my knees and crying thing. Yeah, it, it was definitely a downer moment, but that, that's kind of a Gundam thing. You know, they, they have, yeah, they have victories, but yeah, there's a lot of downer moments sometimes. <laughs> I think it kind of illustrates like how disconnected Earth is from like the colonies that this stuff happens and no one like cares about it, basically. <laughs> and it also illustrates kind of a, a, a interesting idea with White Base. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to help these refugees. They're like, we're trying to get you to a good place where we can set you down and you could have a really good life because sure i'm sure the crew of white base obviously with amaro and fraubo not knowing that you know saint Anne just was gone you don't know that either the town you used to live in could be gone we're trying to get you to somewhere that does exist that is actually a city or a, you know at least a town where you can live you know your desire to like be back on earth might not be what you want when you find out what actually happened you know be careful what you wish for taylor you just may find it yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I I will still say that like probably my favorite moment of this episode. I, I really do like Big John and Little John. One-off characters, you know. Probably never see him again. Or maybe we do. I don't know. I for I have not watched MSG in a long time, so I don't know if they show back up. A bad guy can be a bad guy, as in that he still does what he has to do as a character for the opposition, as an antagonist. You know, like like we were talking about with Amaro and them. You know, having a showdown. They, they were going to shoot Amro. Amro had to shoot them. I, I do understand that. I mean, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, they're not bad people. They're, they're not just, you know, sycophants who are just like, hail Satan, kill everything. You know, they they do have human emotions. I, I thought this was a really good episode for that. Yeah, I think, I think this is, I mean, even though there are some themes and, and repeated kind of, moments from previous episodes i i think this was probably more well illustrated than than some of the other ones i mean i i as much as we made fun of the mother and the son i mean i i'd be hard-pressed to say that i don't feel sympathy for her at the end there whereas i think you know oh, yeah. I, I think like wilford brimley you know can go stick it up his ass you know what i mean like like space wilford brimley i don't i don't think i felt as bad for how do you feel about char in this episode do you do you think because this time he wasn't a fighter he was just being tactical and the guy waiting in the wings do you, do you like that aspect of him as well as as as, as opposed to being you know the, the red comet the, the badass fighter yes <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> of course, Justin's got a thought. He's like, ha ha ha, whatever I answer, it'll make Tony look like a fool. <laughs> you see, we have Justin's like rub, rubbing his like chin and like a little glint goes on his glasses. Like, <laughs> yeah, the back of his like, hmm, my tactic was successful. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I had a good time watching the episode. The Blu-ray, of course, looks nice and everything. And, you know, I, I, I have to admit, I am looking forward to, you know, basically, you know, I, I know pretty soon, you know, we're headed towards the conclusion of the, the Garma stuff. I know we've got a few more episodes, but I, I, I think I am looking forward to, you know, closing out that, you know, subsection of, of Gundam and then, you know, moving on to, to other um, instances. I mean, as far as like the, the kind of stuff that's brought up in these episodes, like I'm, I'm trying to remember, but Mike, do you remember, like, I, I mean, is anything like this covered in the origin comics at all? Like, or, or are we kind of like way beyond that by this point? 
I'm pretty sure they re they retell this story, like this particular episode in the origin. I, I'm not sure how different it is, but I'm pr- I'm fairly certain this isn't something that was like excised or you know like like the movies or whatever. Like this seems like something important, basically. I do like the fact that like the Zeon in this episode, like we we're used to like big robot shows just having the big robots fight big robots. That that is the trope. That's how we do things. Or a big robot fighting a monster, whatever you want to call it. But it was really nice that like the Zeon used a lot of their military in this. There were tanks, there were the the, the dop fighters, there was like, you know, the Luggin. The Luggin is is actually just a reconnaissance craft. It is actually not a fighter jet. It does have like weapons and stuff, but it is used to for reconnaissance. That's why those two big circles on top of the jet are. They're 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 like a it's like a satellite radar plane. From a technical aspect, I really like that kind of stuff. I like the fact that the Zeon forces are a military. You know, they have various weapons of war they can use. And like, you know, like you were talking about with Char and Garma, they had to use some weapons because of the fact that like they didn't know if they could, you know, really utilize the Zakus to their utmost efficiency, which obviously they didn't, <laughs> you know, it's like the, the tanks probably did better than the uh, the mobile suits. And I, I thought that was really cool. It's like, you know, that that shows a wide variety of stratagem, you know, it's like just don't send a robot out just because you have a, a fucking robot. If you have other material, you know, war material, as they call it, use like a, a specific unit for what it could do the most damage. I, I thought that was like, you know, a cool way to show that the Xeon forces have a military mindset. But yes, this was good. All right. Well, I, I think basically next episode we've got coming up is Fly Gundam. So that's going to be coming up next time. Like I said, it's it, we're, we're coming closer towards the, the conclusion of the the Garma Zabi saga, I guess, as, as we might call it. And if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you are a big fan of evacuees and, and you love you love Space Wilfred Brimley and, and you have some scathing nasty comments, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We, of course, are on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can find the backlog of all our podcast episodes there. In addition to Mobile Suit Mondays, we've got other spin-off shows such as Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, Transformers Tuesdays, comic books, motherfucker, do you read them? And Big in Japan, where we talk anime and the Fanholes podcast proper. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. We can be found on iTunes. iTunes reviews are appreciated. We are on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So you can contact us in those ways as well. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike. Justin. Hey, this is Tony. And I'm also Big John. When I'm not just trying to kill the Gundam, I'm dropping Tatino's pizza rolls down on the ground for widowed mothers everywhere. Have a good night. (laughs) That would be a good commercial. Big John, it looks like there's a hungry refugee down there. <laughs> we can eat some Totino's pizza rolls. Like, <laughs> dropping Totino's pizza rolls to Zion. <laughs>
Even in war, every time's a party when Tatito's pizza rolls. <laughs> every time Garma twirls his hair, a pizza roll gets its wings. <laughs> Your kid have a stupid name like Coley? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we never told you this, but your father killed himself because your name was so dumb. <laughs> I'm not doing a PT kid, but your your father never really liked you. <laughs> Why did daddy leave? Because <laughs> your name was so dumb. <laughs> now shut up. Wave to the pretty Xeon pilot so he doesn't <laughs> shoot us down. Your full name is actually Ethan Coley. Your name is E. Coli. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 